$24 million poured in from people all over the world for victims of the mosque shootings in Christchurch nearly a year ago. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. Today on The Detail, how the money was distributed and why not everyone is happy. It's just fascinating seeing the, this huge sum, $24-odd million, how it translates into actual per-person costs over the course of a year. It, it's amazing the way it, it quickly breaks down into quite small amounts and that it does leave room for improvement and, and some people still struggling. The money started flowing in immediately. What we're overwhelmed with is the generosity of New Zealanders and the international community so far. And uh, there'll be such things as uh, accommodation, counselling, emergency grants, additional support workers to support them. A Jewish organisation in the United States is fundraising for the Christchurch Muslim community after hearing of the mosque attacks. We were overwhelmed with the response of our Muslim brothers and sisters to the awful, horrific shooting that took place in Pittsburgh in October. And uh, we just, without even thinking, we knew we had to step up and and do something to show our support back at at the Muslim community. Australian teenager Will Connolly, also known as Egg Boy, has donated $100,000 to those affected by the Christchurch mosque attacks. And the money started flowing out almost immediately. This is a report just five days after the attacks. Victim support has begun making payments to people affected by the Christchurch mosque attacks. After receiving $7 million in donations, more than 83,000 people have donated money with a separate Islamic crowdfunding site pulling in $2.3 million. Christchurch-based RNZ reporter Katie Todd has been looking at where the money went. Give a Little was the sort of main New Zealand one, and that just blew up. $10.9 million it got in total from 97,923 donors. Um, and then GoFundMe was the American website, and that got another $275,000. And there were pledges from community groups, Islamic organisations, um, All sorts just came flowing in from so many different channels. It was quite incredible. Victim support has already given out $800,000 of the $8.4 million it's so far received in donations. Victim support sort of got tasked with the short-term response and um, giving out money for immediate needs. And then the Christchurch Foundation looked at the sort of mid- to long-term needs. To look after the longer-term needs of the families, the Christchurch Foundation has set up a special fund that's already received $4.8 million. The Christchurch Foundation, what is that? It's been set up through the Christchurch City Council and it's got a board but it's been overseen largely by a former Christchurch City Councillor called Raf Manji and he's been an independent advisor to, to that foundation because of his close ties with the Muslim community. How much money went to the foundation? So they got about $11 million but they are still collecting donations. And, and where did that money come from? Now, that came from a huge source of incomes. There was the 18,000 individual gifts of up to $1.5 million each from schools and businesses and community groups. And then there was $1.3 million from the URS concerts in Christchurch in Auckland. It was 1.5 million from the Saudi Arabia Prince Alawid bin Talal.
Prince Talal wasn't the only Saudi donor. The country's king, Salman bin Abdulaziz, paid for 200 victims and family members to fly to Mecca. The Muslim World League, an international organisation, bought houses for two of the families. And then, of course, we had the two million from the Teochew International Foundation and the Chaoshan General Association of New Zealand, so from China as well. How many victims are we talking about? I mean, how many people were going to get that money from the outset? I don't have a number for that, but it has been the big challenge is where do you draw the line and define a victim? Is it people who are physically injured? Is it people who were um, in the mosques at the time of the attack and weren't injured but did have sort of a really traumatic experience? Or is it people who suffered injuries that weren't bullet wounds but um, you know got caught up in the, the chaos of leaving the mosques? Or was it people who lost next of kin? People who watched the video online? Um, so that's been a really fluid process in terms of defining a victim and um, and working out who should get this money. Has that been the task for Rafe Manji? Yes, it has for the Christchurch Foundation, but Victim Support also had their own um, people looking at who should get the money and engaging with uh, the victims and the Muslim community to, to figure that out. And over the last 12 months, there has been quite a lot of debate about that. There certainly has. Um, so there has been a little bit of criticism in terms of the way victim support defined victims um, and the way it engaged with the Muslim community and divvied up that money. Victim support is rejecting claims it has not been transparent enough in handing out the millions of dollars donated to help the mosque shooting victims. Almost two months on from the shootings, it's been under pressure from victims, donors and community volunteers to hand out the rest of the money to those struggling financially. It's not transparent enough. It appears to be like a Christchurch earthquake thing where it's getting lost in bureaucracy and excuses. When you hear that people are struggling and they're having to borrow money and all this, it's not a good good look, is it? And then in the same breath, you, you read about these ones that have lost loved ones that are finding it difficult to meet their mortgage payments. Why? There are some who have lost family members who haven't got the finances to buy food. Christchurch Foundation has sort of made their process a lot more complicated. So they've got three sort of main funds and then seven different like funds under their what's called the Victims Fund. And so that's sort of ensured that lump sums go to different categories of victims, but also that there's things like the hardship fund, which means people can approach them and say, look, I'm having a really hard time, I can't afford groceries, things like that, and then they'll pay a lump sum to them. It's really interesting, isn't it, Katie, because uh, you'd think, okay, no, this is straightforward, we've got millions and millions of dollars, we'll just divide it up into the different groups and hand, work out how much money each group should get and just hand it out. But when you start thinking about it, it's actually really complicated. I mean, how when you started working on this story, how did you go about figuring out where the money was going? Well, it's been quite interesting seeing how differently Victim Support and the Christchurch Foundation have actually reported on what they've given out and also in some instances not really been entirely clear about what they've done. And, and there are you know instances where that's perfectly reasonable. Of course, we don't want to know exactly who's getting what money, that there's a line between transparency and um, sort of invasion of privacy. And for this story, Katie spoke to Raf Manji from the Christchurch Foundation. 
I was just hoping for a bit more information about the Children and Widow Support mm. Fund. Mm. How does that one work? Yeah, I mean, we've kept that private, um, you know, for good reason, because that's the group that has a higher um, level of vulnerability than others. So we just put a, a lump sum on that. Um, and those are, are specific payments to um, widows who have children, um, you know, to support themselves with the extra burdens they have and obviously the the support of um, children under 18 as well. So yeah, we haven't r revealed specific payments there. And it, uh, this is always quite a tricky bit, and the same with the medical support fund as well. When, when I looked at other events like this and how they structured the payouts, you know, some are very straightforward and they just say we paid out, you know, X, Y and Z to these groups. Um, and some don't actually reveal the specific payments, but say what groups are receiving funds and sort of what the general priority is. Because, you know, there, it is a challenging time for victims. Not only are they experiencing the outcomes of the event, or in, in this case the attacks, they then have to deal with all these other issues, you know, and financial issues. And... You know, they're receiving lump sums of money. And, you know, it, it is a, quite a challenging thing to manage. I made a really big flowchart. It started as scribbles on a piece of paper on my desk. And then um, I've, I've put it into digital format and um, I'll be putting it on the RNZ website. I basically just tried to work out where the, the crossover is and um, who's got what. But victim support have definitely taken the approach of X number of dollars for X type of victim. And Christchurch Foundation have split it in terms of immediate need, mid-term need, long-term need, and and then the different types of victims. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at your flow chart at the moment, and under Christchurch Foundation, it's got $11 million for mid- to long-term support. Then you've got the Victims Fund, $7 million, Community Services Fund, that's uh, 500000 Education Fund, $1.6 million for... Lo uh, this is a long-term legacy for 108 children of the deceased and bullet injured. And that is the grants made to date. So that'll be an ongoing thing, I assume. It is. It's um, 18 to 20 years um, by Legacy Fund. That's what they mean. Yeah. And, and then it's kind of interesting because on the side you've got two new ambulances for St John at the, at the cost of 480000 and gifts for people with deceased next of kin at a cost of £1.5 yeah, so some people who donated to the Christchurch Foundation specified this is exactly what I want the money spent on, and so they had to sort of take those into account, um, and, and the two new ambulances for St John um, was an example of that. Um, it obviously doesn't really fit in any of the victims' categories, so they sort of made that payment to the side. Yeah. Um, and, and same with next of kin um, gifts. Yeah, and then you've got from the $7 million victims fund, you've got a bullet injured fund, which is 25000 for each bullet injured person. Then the Shaheed fund. What Can you explain to me what is that, Katie? So that's uh, $70,000 in lump sum for each person with a deceased next of kin. For example, a, a widow it might receive that much, but it's it's worth mentioning at this point that that's on top of what they would have already got from victim support. So people who lost next of kin actually ended up probably getting the most money out of all the donations. Um, so they got yeah seventy thousand dollars from the Shahid Fund and then ninety five thousand from victim support. So that's about 
165000 altogether. Then we go on and look at the, the Children and Widows Support Fund, and this is being paid out in lump sums for widows and children younger than 18 years. Then the Hardship Fund, which you've talked about, and the Medical Support Fund, again, paid out in lump sums to people who've been severely injured. So that is really complicated, it is. Um, talking with Raf Manji, he, like me, sort of made this big spreadsheet, uh, probably on a much more industrial scale, um, and he talked to me about sitting there hour after hour just looking at it and sort of fiddling with bits and bobs. When you're dividing up a certain pot of money, it's extremely complicated. You know, every time you shift it here, it shifts over here. So I had a massive Excel spreadsheet which I used to just sit there and play around with, you know, hour after hour, trying to work out, you know, what was the, the best... Um, outcome, the fairest outcome, knowing that, ne- that generally if everyone was unhappy, you were probably just about right. <laughs> you, know, you don't want anyone being too happy. But yeah, it was, it was very challenging. And um, you know, some of the stories I heard were, you know, I mean, obviously they were very moving, but they were just, some, yeah, it was so difficult. Mm. When I went to see the government, you know, they were quite clear they would handle the mental health and well-being piece, um, which is good because it's probably the most complicated bit and the bit that will be longest lasting for many people and that that matches again what happened overseas you know so Manchester set up um, a resilience hub after the Manchester attack to deal with mental health uh, issues. Who did he talk to about this? So he, he tried to reach out to pretty much every victim who he'd be um, supporting and um, wider community groups, and he had about 160 meetings with them in total. Um, well, he said 160 and then he lost count. I think it was definitely overwhelming. I, I don't think I've ever <laughs> had such a hard job to do because, yeah, the demise, you know, at, at the peak of it, it was, um, it was very full-on. And it was just so clear to me that there were so many issues. I think that was the thing. So in a way, we weren't, we weren't just discussing you know, how to distribute funds. It was everything else. I mean, if you've read the, the summary report that I did, you know, all the immigration issues were huge, you know, the mental health issues, um, the financial issues. And all of that is what people wanted to talk about more. Um, but yeah, over time, the consensus did develop around where where the need was for the funds and you know I mean not everyone agreed with it for sure and there were bits there were certainly bits which were quite challenging to deal with and that was really the hardship the hardship fund you know how to deal with the witnesses who were at the mosque but not injured or shot and they're always the toughest group and the money is still being distributed Yes, it sure is. Yeah, well, as, as we talked about, there's the education fund, um, so long-term legacy fund, and then places like the hardship fund, there's still a little bit of money set aside, so people who are experiencing one-off instances can come to the Christchurch Foundation and ask for a little bit of help. And, of course, we're approaching the trial of the accused gunman this year and um, the anniversary this week, so there are needs popping up constantly. Actually, that's a really good point. So there are two crucial moments, as you say, the anniversary this week and then the trial. How are are people being supported through those two periods? Yeah, so that's that's something they've taken into account from quite early on, um, and hopefully some of this money is is going towards that. But um, I guess it's just making access to good, robust mental health support is the number one priority. That's something that Raf Manji talked about.
it's very difficult to, you know, just give money and then walk away. You know, there are a lot of other issues, and these issues take time to work through. Um, and the trial is going to bring an enormous amount of stress on everyone. So it's trying to make sure that, you know, that people are well supported through that. This is a, this is a two-year um, timeline in terms of the the impact uh, of the event, and. I mean, one of the curves I used to draw in all the meetings I had, especially with government agencies, is this, you know, after an event, you have a kind of, you have this big event, and then you have an outpouring of support in lots of ways, financially, emotionally, administratively, and you sort of get a bit of an up curve. And a, a lot of the injured have reported this, where they kind of, they came out of hospital, you know, even with quite serious injuries, and they sort of felt a bit of euphoria. A lot of that was probably the drugs, <laughs> paying drugs to everyone. <laughs> and then it sort of goes up to about six months, then it starts to come down. And when we did the distribution, I said, this is the point we're at now, we're about to go down. And you sort of go down here, and this is sort of like the one-year mark, and that next year is really tough, because that's all the, re all the good support's gone away, and you've got the really tough bits. And no amount of money is going to get you back to where you were beforehand. And that's a really tough time. So I don't want people struggling, you know, with their immigration status or their basic financial support through that period. You want them to be well set so that they can get through that period and up into the next bit where they might be able to get back to work or get back to some sense of normality, get the children into school or, you know, get their housing sorted out. So that's why I said, you know, the you know, bespoke response, um, and then clear financial support for 12 to 24 months, where people are not constantly having to fight to get basic support. The people that you have talked to, you know, the victims, the people who are getting this money, are they completely satisfied with what they've received and how it's been distributed? No, look... Some people are thrilled, I mean, and most people are incredibly grateful, but in terms of how the, the consultation process happened and um, whether they've got enough, there's not actually a clear answer there. Some people are still struggling financially. And it's important to remember with a community like this, some people did start on the back foot. So the Muslim community includes people like refugees and um, people with really young families to support. And so even within the categories of victim that were identified by Victim Support and Christchurch Foundation, there's people with different needs, um, even if they've got exactly the same injuries. You talked to somebody for your story for RNZ, Mr Rubel. Tell me about his story. He was in the El Noor Mosque at the time of the attack and he was shot three times in the leg. He's been take, undertaking a lot of surgeries um, over the past year and he's still yet to go back to work for more than half a day a week. He's got a really young family to support. So I sort of used him as a case study to understand how much victims had got in their pockets and through the four funding rounds dished out by victim support, he would have been eligible for $51,000 and then another $25,000 through the Christchurch Foundation's Victims Fund. Um, at, that, that's at a minimum. Um, he could have also maybe approached things like the Hajjit Fund for more. So we can conclude he got at least $76,000 and... 
he actually used that money to buy a house um, in Christchurch. And um, that's a way he talked about supporting his whole family rather than just himself and sort of finding a a bit of belonging in Christchurch and um, a bit of safety here after what happened last March. And how does he feel about that money? I mean, as you say, he's been able to buy a house, but he still can only work half a day a week. He's thrilled. He feels like he has enough to continue on. Um, He's one of the victims that is quite happy with the consultation process um, and with the amount of engagement that Rafmanji and other um, board members have had with the Muslim community. Well, I think he's still receiving help from other agencies and his wife works, so he's um, been able to, to sort of keep enough uh, coming in to support the family and keep the kids going to kindy and and get by day to day. Because uh, these victims, are they also eligible for government funding? Yes. Um, So people like him would be eligible for ACC and then government organisations like Ministry of Social Development and Oranga Tamariki and District Health Boards, they also still apply and should be giving victims financial help where they need it. And that's something outlined in the government's National Response and Recovery Plan that they released last year, and that set clear goals for those kinds of agencies to collaborate and ensure basic financial needs are met. Now, something um, that victim support made clear from the get-go is that the donations they received were not any form of compensation, they were just a gesture. So it's it's really still up to the government to provide the, the basic day-to-day support. But, you know, the interesting thing is, Katie, as you mentioned, um, Rafe Manji said he's still getting approaches from people, calls from people who need help for the most basic things like buying groceries. And because some people are being funded through ACC, some people through WINS, As far as I'm concerned, it should all be coming out of a single place. They shouldn't be going to different agencies to try and get financial support. And and that's something I heard from some victims myself, people who have received a lot of money but are still struggling for one reason or another. I think that's been a big sort of learning curve in the process that, um, as I talked about, all all victims aren't equal. Um, Some of them have had harder starts to begin with and... And some people were just finding the sheer cost of their injuries and associated things like catching taxis everywhere and um, having to buy medicine or not being covered by ACC because they, um, for time off work because of mental trauma. Um, they're, they're just spending heaps and really not feeling financially secure. That's the detail today. I'm Sharon Brett Kelly. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. Hit the subscribe button to stay across the detail every day. And if you're on Apple, please leave a rating as it helps other listeners find us. This episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to RNZ's Katie Todd. Kakite Ano. Anō.